Evgeny Malkin had better be good, and I mean really good, for that contract that he just signed. But when you're talking about a deal that takes a guy right up to age 40, what might that look like? Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. As promised, today we're taking on Geno. Yesterday, I went at Sid in terms of his own future. You're more than welcome to find that episode and hear how I honestly had a really tough time envisioning a grinder finding a way to morph his game into something else as he enters the twilight of his career. With Gino, I don't have that struggle. I really don't. I, I feel like I know what Gino is going to be because to an extent, he's already begun becoming that. This might not be the most popular sentiment. I know there is a segment of the fan base that just bashes Gino or blames him for this or that, and they won't notice or won't want to notice whenever things are going well for him. But here's a fact. Coming off knee surgery, and I'm going to repeat this for effect, knee surgery, anybody who knows Anything about hockey at the participatory level knows the incredible percentage of your effectiveness as a skater that relies on your knees, the balance, the strength that's required, that's put into your knee as you're moving forward. He had to come back from this, and over the final 41 games... His 41 games in the season, obviously the exact half of a regular season, he had 42 points. He's a a point-a-game guy. 20 goals, 22 assists. That's pretty good. Now, you can look at that, and I think this might be a, a fair quibble to have over this, that half of his points came on the power play. Nine goals, 11 assists. But, you know... Having an effective power play is kind of important. And the Penguins' power play this past season never looked better than when he came back. So I think the fairest thing to do in this discussion is to first convey that particular context. He is still a very, very good player in the NHL. Where you would rank him, what number you would assign him, I don't know. But from a points-per-game standpoint, he was still in the league's top 30. And yeah, he had the minus 10 figure for anybody who still tracks plus-minus, but if you go over his more advanced analytics, the ones that track a lot more than whether or not you were on the rink for a goal for or a goal against at even strength you'll see that there were games that he was just flat-out dominant. And you'll also see that he should have gotten more offense out of his five-on-five line mates than he did. In other words, he was the driver on his line, but his wingers, usually Kasperi Kapanen, uh, Jason Zucker, those guys, just flat-out didn't finish. 
And there's nothing that you can do from a plus minus standpoint, or for that matter, a point production standpoint, to compensate for that. That's why they have the advanced analytics. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. So what does Gino look like moving forward if he's still pretty good right now? I'll sum it up in a single word. Responsible. This is the point that Mike Sullivan will make again and again and again anytime I've brought up Gino with him. He just comes back to taking care of the puck. He feels that Gino's natural ability which has obviously been elite for the duration of his career and continues to be at times, can take care of itself. It doesn't need that much help in terms of some kind of modification to his game or whatever. He also feels, Sullivan does, that Gino is a good fit for his system. Dot, 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 when he takes care of the puck. The possession killer when it comes to Gino, is Gino himself. When he'll have one of those moments where he just thinks, hey, here comes a great lateral pass across center red. Let's see if it happens to connect with somebody. <laughs> and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And those are going to happen. Those are going to happen for him, just as they've happened for Chris Letang over the years. But one thing that happened, one beautiful, blessed underlying thing that happened this past season for both Gino and Latang is that they cut those down. And I'm not guessing at that. The Penguins coaches track that stuff themselves. They don't leave that to, you know, naturalstattrick.com or whatever. They have their own information. They have their own analytics. And the coaches were very happy with both of them on that front, especially Latang. I mean, Latang really chopped those down. If that happens, and if Gino can maintain the burst that he's had, and you know what I'm talking about, the beast mode burst, where he just has that one extra little hop to him as he's going through the neutral zone or even churning his way deeper into the attacking zone, if he can maintain that athletically from a conditioning standpoint, he's always going to have the hands. As Ronnie Francis once famously put it, the hands are the last thing to go. So if you think about Gino's style, he's not the grinder type. He's the kind that's going to be looking for open ice. He's going to be the guy who's more often than not a trailer on a rush. He's always preferred to be the trailer with more up and down, straight ahead type wingers, which parenthetically, I'll add, is a pretty good reason to have someone like Danton Heinen on the wing with him as opposed to Jason Zucker. But I digress. So he's already got the style that I think will age well. The comparison that I've put forth in conversations with both Gino and Sullivan, whenever this comes up, is Sergei Fedorov. Uh, Fedorov, of course, uh, an exceptional 
brilliant offensive player for the Red Wings and then later other teams, eventually took what had already been a strong defensive trait to his game and just amplified it by emphasizing it. Gino, <laughs> don't laugh at this, even though I just did, but is actually capable of being an exceptional player in the defensive zone. Notice how I worded that. In the sense that he has historically been the Penguins' leader, team leader, in takeaways. He has that long stick. He has that sixth sense. He finds a way to get the puck. Fedorov was tremendous at this. It looked a little bit different when he did it, but he was really, really good. And as a result, his game became more built from the back out. And that's where I think Gino can... I'm going to use that word again, morph into the next phase of Gino. When we come back, a J1Q on the promotion of Todd Reardon yesterday. And today's J1Q comes from Scott, and it's in regard to Todd Reardon being promoted to associate coach yesterday as well as being given a two-year extension. Scott asks, was this done to keep Reardon on the staff, meaning to keep him from leaving, or some other purpose like insurance in case Mike Sullivan were to leave? Would help to explain the difference between assistant slash associate coach and what the title change means with regard to responsibilities. Scott, they really like Reardon, meaning both Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. Oh, and also Sullivan himself. Uh, this isn't something that they keep secret. Uh, it's not just because he was a head coach in Washington. It's not just because whenever Sullivan couldn't come into Canada because of the positive COVID test that Reardon was the one who took over behind the bench and the team continued playing well. It's not really any of that. I believe that it's first and foremost that Reardon has had a powerful impact on the defense corps. I referenced in the opening segment Latang and how his giveaways went way down. Well, Latang wasn't the only one. Mike Matheson ended up uh, being a far different player than what he was when he came up here from Sunrise. And Mike would be the first one to tell you that, okay? And he, he would tell you that Reardon had a lot to do with that. Reardon simplified his game in the defensive zone, told him to just basically make sure that he's staying in a certain quadrant, that he's not flying all over the place just because he can. That's a lot of what would get into Latang's head as well. He feels like, because of his level of confidence and, of course, his ability, that he can do anything. Well, in the defensive zone, that's not always the best approach. You're much better off staying in a certain space or within a certain assignment and allowing all five skaters to do the appropriate thing. That credit goes largely to Reardon because Reardon had a similar impact on Latang in his first go-round as an assistant coach here. So to me, 
it feels a lot more like the Penguins just wanted to make sure that they continued getting that particular benefit from him, as well as a capable, competent guy on that end of the bench. For anybody who doesn't know how this stuff works, the head coach rotates the forward lines, but it's an assistant coach who rotates the defense pairs. That's managed almost entirely by Reardon. And when I say almost, there are situations where they'll discuss on the bench if they want a certain group of five on the rink. Uh, that's going to be ultimately the call of the head coach. But it is a warm feeling for a head coach to know that he's got somebody to his right who can handle that and that he doesn't have to worry about it. So what you do if you're the Penguins, although they didn't announce any dollar figures, and that sort of thing almost never comes out regarding coaches, is you give him a raise and you tell him, look, we're going to make sure that you are seen as having a visible status to the rest of the league so that you can become, ideally, a head coach again somewhere else. The idea, and I feel like I have to address this because it's, it's somewhat of an elephant in the room, that they would be doing something to prepare for Sullivan not being around or Sullivan getting fired or something wacky like that. I, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just no. I have heard both Hextall and Burke speak about this head coach in tones that I can't even begin to picture what would have to happen for Sullivan to get fired. And yes, I'm aware of the first round playoff streak, but I also know that this is one of the better head coaches in hockey. The Penguins are lucky to have him, as I'm often saying. And now they're doubly lucky. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll be back Monday with more. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.